This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We start with General David Petraeus, and uh, it, it is so nice to chat with you. And Mr. Petraeus, as we all know, commanded the surge in Iraq, the U.S. Central Command, NATO, and U.S. forces in Afghanistan. General, good afternoon to you. Good to be with you, Dominic, and my best to the congressman, and congratulations to him on a great op-ed in the Hill a couple of days ago. Well, the congressman is standing by to talk to you, and he'll do exactly that. But I want to ask you this open-ended question to begin with, General, and it's great to chat with you. The Chinese spy balloon, the Washington Post this morning says this has been going on for a while. What, what do you think, General? Well, I think it has. I think what's happened in the past is that it has, in essence, felt our edges, literally. It's just gone in into our airspace very briefly and then pulled out. The It was seen and classified, as I understand it, as what the modern version, uh, modern name is for an unidentified flying object. And it took some time to figure out that, oh, by the way, those incursions were what now has transited first the Aleutians and into Canada and then, of course, went right into uh, the continental United States. Uh, so this is different. It's not something we've uh, dealt with before. At least it wasn't identified as such. And I think part of the challenge here for the military was that there was no playbook for this. You know, we have a playbook. If we see that there's an intercontinental ballistic missile launched toward the United States, literally there's a playbook and they convene a quick uh, conference call. Some of these can involve the president of the United States. Uh, there's even, of course, codes, nuclear codes, and, and all the rest of that. It's all worked out, exercised, et cetera. This was something new, and I think it took a while probably for Northern Command and its uh, other headquarters, NORAD, uh, which is the North American Aerospace Defense Command, which is joint with Canada, to figure this out, then to get it up the chain of command, to convene some uh, initial meetings, bring it to the president. By now, you're probably at Tuesday. And the president says, shoot it down by Wednesday. Now it's really overpopulated areas. I think it's understandable, frankly, that you don't shoot something down that's, what, six or eight miles up that has three three buses worth of momentum that's going to accelerate towards the Earth. And then I think impressively shot it down still within our airspace uh, over fairly shallow waters in which they can recover uh, the various optics and other items that are in there. And I, and I look forward to hearing more about that. I, let me just add, though, I was uh, actually testified to the House uh, Committee on Intelligence today. Congressman, I know you spent time on various of those committees, and this question came up first. And I said, you know what puzzles me? And the big issue for me is not all the stuff about why didn't, you know, what did we know, when did we know it, why didn't we shoot it down earlier? Um, it's actually what was going on in Beijing. Surely there had to be an expectation that something this large and flying this low would be recognized and noticed. And that begs the question of what is their process for approving what we term here and other countries term as sensitive activities, which for which there is always an approval process for whether it's military, special intelligence activities, or even you know diplomatic and economic activities that are particularly sensitive and, and, and could elicit some kind of response from a potential adversary. And if there was a process and it went to the top and this was approved, that is calls judgment into question because this blew up the entire direction in which China seemed to be going ending the zero COVID policy, meeting with President Biden in Bali on the margins of the G20, the uh, 
uh, Janet Yellen meeting with her counterpart, and of course the planned meeting of Tony Blinken, where presumably China was going to continue down the road of trying to show a kinder, gentler face to the rest of the world, having gotten rid of the wolf warrior public affairs officer and their Ministry of Foreign Affairs, etc. So this clearly is a total disconnect from the direction in which they seemed to be heading. Um, the alternative is that there was not an approval process for something that was incredibly blatant and really quite reckless uh, in what it has actually achieved. And that is a worry as well. So either, depending on what the answer is, either of them I find very concerning. And frankly, it underscores the need for the kind of meeting that Tony Blinken was going to have, which was to establish guardrails and mechanisms for avoiding crises uh, taking what is a severe competition, in the words of our national security advisor describing the relationship with China, uh, into what is a confrontation that we all want to deter and avoid. General, first of all, this is Pete King. Let me thank you for your kind words. More importantly, most importantly, thank you for your years of service. And when you mentioned testifying before the Intelligence Committee today, I, I, I will remember my main memory of you testifying is every other top official who comes in to testify has an, uh, literally an army of people around them, of advisors. You, when you come in, you sat at the microphone by yourself. I never saw you even turn around once to ask for advice. So nobody ever mastered their brief better than you did. If I could give a possibility on this, assume that China, you know, this went through the whole chain of command. It was unanimous support. Could this have been uh, in a way to somehow show the rest of the world that they are not intimidated by the U.S.? Because it's, I mean, they had to know the balloon was going to be spotted. It's flying over the entire country. If that's what they wanted to do, could this somehow be a signal that, uh, to other countries that the U.S., uh, it, it, you, know, you know, they're not afraid of the U.S., that they're not concerned yeah. about the U.S.? I, I think that this is going to turn out to be so incredibly counterproductive that if that was actually, if there was a review process and they actually approved it at the very highest levels, Again, the degree of recklessness here, um, I mean, certainly they did foment discontent in the United States. Uh, And one of the points that I made, by the way, building on your op-ed the other day was I said, we cannot allow our differences to define us. Um, I described all the threats. This is partly to discuss the global threats and how the intelligence community is postured to, uh, to deal with them. And I said, there's no one of the threats I've discussed, not China, not Russia, Uh, Not the Islamic State, not al-Qaeda, not Iran. None of them can defeat us, but we could defeat ourselves. General, can this be them sending— to to exacerbate differences, well, then they did. But look, I think at the end of the day, the conclusion around the world is going to be about how dangerous China is. And again, it will be counterproductive. It will not intimidate, I don't think. I think it will force countries further— into the, the the side of the U.S. and the West, just in the way that the Philippines, a week or two ago when our Secretary of Defense was out there, uh, allowed us access to four of their bases. Well, that's what I was going really to ask you, General. Could this have been a clumsy way of retaliating for us getting the Philippines to allow us to have more leeway there in the Philippines? I think this was already set in train. This takes so long. You know, they launched them in Hainan Island uh, just offshore. It, it takes so long, I would think, to make its way over there, that that would, and to have that set already. And, and I think this takes much more preparation uh, and then literally just transit time, depending on how they're pushing it along and how they, the means, you know, it's not, I don't think it's entirely 
subject to the winds, at least based on our previous experiences where they go in and then come out of our airspace, even though we did not know at that time that it was a Chinese surveillance satellite or surveillance balloon. The other question is also, you know, why do this? If you got so many other objects, I, the former secretary of the air force was also there testifying. She enumerated, you know, the hundreds if not thousands of satellites they have in low and, and then further out orbit. Why do you need to do this? If you have all of those, yes, it's a little closer to the earth. Yes. The uh, resolution is a bit better, but again, an incredibly provocative, and indeed reckless action uh, to gain what I don't think is going to show to be particularly great intelligence information. General, it's uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, sir. I'd like to raise two points with you. Number one, it's been reported that this has been going on at least since 2018. And not only has the United States been the the victim of this, but the Philippines have, Taiwan, Japan, Vietnam, and, and India. That's one point I'd like to hear your voice on. And the other one is that this may have been an attempt by uh, by the extremists in the military to undermine the civilian authorities in China. What say you on those issues? Well, on the second one, I think if, if you're inclined toward that one, I think that they are so top-down that that would be an, you know, that's an action of professional suicide. Um, that's where heads roll uh, if this was not approved. I I think an explanation that might be slightly more plausible is just this was the old, you know, bureaucracy does its thing. They're launching these all the time. They're pushing them over all these countries. All of a sudden, you know, somehow or other, it ends up over the continental United States instead of just over the Aleutians briefly and then over other countries. But again, we'll, we'll have to see. They have been doing this. But as I mentioned, the difference is that we really didn't figure out what it was in the past until this episode. And then they went back, I think, and did an audit because reportedly even the quote, the, the deputy undersecretary of policy in the Pentagon, that's a fair num- number of layers down from the secretary of defense. Even they weren't actually briefed on it uh, during the Trump administration. And I'm not sure how far it went, if at all, in the case that took place earlier in the Biden administration, which, again, was just a very brief uh, into our airspace and then out. Well, General Petraeus, we are out of time, but I want to thank you for joining Cats at Night, hosted by Mr. John Katsimatidis. I do want to ask you this quickly. We have very little time. Considering your expertise on all of these matters, what else is possibly going on out there that we don't know about? Well, there's any number of things we don't know about. You know, this is like asking, uh, you know, these these threats that you can't think of. Can you think of any of them? Um, <laughs> and and again, it's it's ironic because this does show that this is something that was taking place before, and we didn't actually figure out what it was. So uh, again, there are events like this. Uh, we should anticipate them in the future. Arguably, there are gaps in our intelligence collection. Uh, that we will need to plug as a result of this. And that's the kind of analysis uh, that is very much ongoing, even as they retrieve all the debris and pieces and parts of that balloon and what it was carrying. General David Petraeus, thank you so much for joining Cats at Night. Thanks, Dominic, and my best to John. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. 
joining us now as it relates to that Chinese spy balloon happens to be Dr. Sky. He's Steve Cates, and we he watches the sky for us and reports whenever there is an event. With me in studio, Judge Richard Weinberg and Congressman Peter King. Judge, go right ahead. Uh, Dr. Sky, welcome back to uh, Cats at Night. What I want to ask you, there's been a lot of talk about these balloons. I yes. want to know from your perspective, what does this really mean in terms of uh, our national security, our national defense, and what we should be doing? Well, Judge, great question. Good evening to all the listeners out there. I wanted to comment on this. I was just on with Frank Morano earlier this morning, passing on some information. Obviously, it's a big threat to national security, as we're hearing from the general before and the guest that you just had. But this is something interesting that I wanted to share with you, Judge, and the entire audience here tonight on Cats at Night. Apparently, many people are so concerned about why we didn't shoot down the balloon initially. But according to reliable sources, Tyler Rogaway of the War Zone, that's a website called thedrive.com, gives us this bit of information, and I believe he's credible. He says one of the main reasons we didn't shoot down the balloon is that our national assets with our spy planes, particularly one called the U-2R, in the aircraft vernacular, it's known as one of the Dragon Lady aircraft. We find out that these two U-2Rs actually went above this particular balloon. It's almost like flying into space. And apparently, they have the capability to jam or actually listen in on the transmissions that are coming from these particular, you know, this particular Chinese surveillance balloon. So maybe that's one of the good reasons. Maybe we actually did gather so much information. But simply, Judge, to answer your question, there needs to be something done about this. And the reason they shot it down, apparently, over the ocean, according to reliable sources, is that when that payload hit the ocean, it would have caused less you know, structural damage to the payload than if it hit the ground. So there's a lot of information here that we're not getting told, probably never will be told. But I observe many of these balloons, not this particular one, Judge. And it's a fascinating subject to keep all our listeners in, in check with. So that's a bit of information, I think, that maybe go not to defend the Biden administration, but we may have gotten more information out of this than we're being told in the public uh, venues. And Dr. Scott, why do the, uh, the Chinese want this uh, wreckage back so badly to make threats? Well, I think there's lots of material on there. There's cameras. There's lots of film canisters, maybe. But again, look at it this way, Judge. Their ability to be able to transmit information from that balloon, it wasn't just stored like a hard drive. Or potentially, they didn't think they'd ever get the balloon back. This balloon was probably transmitting up to satellites in space. But as an asset you know, to them, Obviously, they're not going to get that at all. We know what's happened to this. But there's something also about this that I think to give credence to balloons. There's other stories, and I don't want to ever sound conspiratorial here on any show across the nation. But there are some reports that China has developed, we know, some very advanced drone technology. And out of these balloons, why would they use a balloon when they could use a spy satellite? Simply this. Some reports indicate that they drop these what they call electronic cicada-type devices, like cicadas that burrow in the ground and come out years later, they may indeed have dropped these small little sensors out of these balloons from altitude. But one of the things, Judge, really quickly that needs to be mentioned, the call signs of the two F-22 Raptors, interestingly enough, were Frank 1 and Frank 2. Why? They're in honor of Arizona balloon buster, that is, Lieutenant himself, who obviously in honor of Lieutenant Frank Luke Jr., the namesake of the Air Force Base that I'm sitting next to right here, he shot down 14 German balloons in World War I, and that AIM-9X Sidewinder missile judge that came out of one of the F-22s may not have been the explosive type of 
AIM-9. It may have been a kinetic type of uh, vehicle, meaning that it literally punctured the balloon without explosion. So that, in other words, we would just want to deflate it, as we saw in the videos, so that we could hopefully gather as much information from the payload that came down of the deflated balloon. Dr. Sky, this is Pete King. Is it possible that a number of the UFO sightings that people thought were UFO sightings actually could have been balloons over the last several years? Yes, Congressman. Good, good to talk with you. Absolutely. And you know that the government, you know better than anybody, I'm sure, that has been in the, you know, in the halls of Congress. The recent report on UAPs and unidentified aerial phenomenon, I believe very strongly that of hundreds of maybe thousands of those sightings, as we know now, these balloons have incurred over our airspace in the past. I am absolutely sure, Congressman King, that we're talking about something here that uh, is probably in those realms of the reconnaissance and spy balloons that China sent up. But boy, wouldn't we really like to know, wouldn't, we, wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall to hear some of the real stories of what some of those hundreds, if not thousands of reports really are? Certainly would. Well, you, you know, Steve Cates, we find all of this, Dr. Sky, we find all of this interesting. In the few seconds we have left with you, is there anything else that, you, that we didn't ask you that you feel is relevant that the public needs to know? Well, we'll continue to stay in touch with this great radio station, and I want to thank John Katsimatidis for having me on your station and learn more about what we're doing with the Dr. Spy Experience at wabcradio.com with our blog and our podcast. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority it's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Now, we are joined by the great Carl Rove, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff. And Mr. Mr. Rove, I guess I'll go first. Dominic Carter here with you. What did you make of the State of the Union from Mr. Biden? My take was one, I was watching for flubs and I was watching his energy level and somebody or his doctors did a great job keeping him with energy. And it's, it looks like whether we like it or not, that Biden is running. What do you say, Carl Rove? Well, I think you're right. It was less a state of the union than it was sort of a soft announcement of his presidential reelection campaign. Um, it was a very, every state of the union has some politics in it, but this was mostly politics. Um, You'll notice that uh, he spent a lot of time excoriating enemies, big oil, uh, billionaires, banks, credit card companies, Internet and wireless uh, providers. He spent a lot of time uh, talking about uh, how great the economy was, even though most people don't feel that way. Um, But I think it was a gamble. It was a gigantic bet. And the bet is that while the economy is not good today, that he thinks that uh, as long as he hangs in there, if the economy recovers, he'll be able to say it was because of my spending programs and my initiatives. And if it doesn't recover, he can say, well, it's because Republicans refuse to do what I suggested we do in this year, which is, you know, raise a lot of taxes and spend a lot more money. Carl, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. Welcome back to Cats at Night. What I want to ask Good. you is this. Are we really stuck with uh, Biden versus Trump in 2024? 
Oh, I don't think so. Look, I, I wrote a column about this a couple of weeks ago in the journal. We had 32 years starting in 1960 till 1992 where our presidents were all from the greatest generation. And we, when, when, that, when that period began, the battle was between two 40-year-olds, John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon. And then in 1992, we elected our first baby boomer. And ironically enough, we have been governed since 1992, 32 years by 2024, by baby boomers. And I think the American people are going to say we face big challenges as a country, and we cannot afford to have a president who's either 78 years old, uh, hoping to be around to 82, or an 82-year-old hoping to be around and energetic till he's 86. Carl, this is Pete King. First of all, always great to hear you and talk to you. Uh, I, I, I have a question. You know, King, I, they I, didn't warn me you were going to be on. Otherwise, I would have prepared myself. Every time <laughs> King came to the White House, I had to buy him lunch. Whenever he didn't have a lunch partner, King would come to the White House, and I'd have to buy him lunch at the White House mess. That was the only time I got, ever got the best of you, Carl. But in any event, there we uh, go. you know, I, I remember when uh, you know, Bill Clinton had a tough time in the 94 elections and he was able to pivot. And it was not only good government, but it was good, uh, good politics where he was able to work with Newt Gingrich, get a balanced budget, welfare reform. And, uh, you know, he always threw in some red meat lines for his base. But basically, he went through the, uh, the emotions and also the reality of uh, working with Republicans on common issues. I just think Biden missed a real opportunity last night. I know his base was happy. What bothered me a bit, though, was somehow Marjorie Taylor Greene became the face of our party. But I think uh, in the long run, I, I, I think Biden has hurt himself both governmentally and, and politically. But you're the guru. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. He, w- he was playing to his base. This was a re-election, which he said, a re-election speech in which he said, you know what, I'm going to bang on all the favorite enemies of the left. I'm going to tell you that I'm going to be very, you know, I'm, from, I'm for higher taxes, more spending, more government. And you're right, he didn't pivot. And, and, and this is the year where he should have been focused on governing. Ironically enough, he would enter 2024 in a stronger position if he were our president this year rather than a presidential candidate. And last night he declared himself, in essence, a presidential candidate. He is, though, making a big gamble because, you know, Reagan was in terrible shape at this point in 1982. But he had a plan, and the plan was Volcker was doing everything he could at the Federal Reserve to, to get inflation out of the system. And Reagan cut taxes, cut the regulatory burden on our economy and the red tape, relieving businesses and enterprise of enormous costs of time and energy, manpower and money. And he, and, he, and he freed our economy and reined in spending. And all those things combined to give us, by the end of 1983, a go and a blow an economy that allowed him to win 49 states. This guy doesn't have a plan. His plan is, you know, we're going to spend more money. We're going to try and raise tax. None of which is going to happen. I mean, we're not going to have we're, we are not going to have the House of Representatives agree to raise money, you know, great raise taxes and, and spend a lot more money. And and as a result, he's going to be in, in in bad shape by the end of the year, I suspect. Carl, is he going to hurt him with voters? You know, when they stop and think about this, he basically said nothing critical about China. Maybe three or four lines. Nothing really critical about Russia. And yet, as you said, he was attacking the banks, uh, successful Americans. You go down the line, he attacked, it, he attacked every American enemy of his and really ignored the larger enemies overseas and basically said very little about the impact that illegal immigration is having on cities like New York and others. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, in my column tomorrow in The Wall Street Journal, I, I mentioned the China thing because it two things that jumped out at me. One is, he, you're right, he glammed through China. He just sort of glossed it over and said, China, you know, not, they're not as powerful as we are. People were expecting him to say something about the Chinese surveillance balloon. The other thing that was odd to me was 
What was his biggest accomplishment in 2021? The passage of the American Rescue Plan, $1.9 trillion of new spending. And guess what? There was not a single word about it. He didn't even mention his name in, in, the, in the speech last night. He did, however, talk about two things, which he claimed a lot of credit for, which are not his, not his accomplishment. <laughs> he was talking about the gun control measure that Murphy of Connecticut, a Democrat, and Cornyn of Texas, Republican, passed. And he was talking about the infrastructure bill, which Senate Republicans and Senate Democrats got together and, 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 and whipped up uh, as they had to reauthorize the highway trust fund, as we have to do every five years. In fact, the administration was saying, don't pass that infrastructure bill. Don't move it along because we're afraid that it's going to take the steam out of our Build Back Better effort. So, you know, it's interesting. He, he pivoted last night, but he didn't pivot like Clinton did. He did it rhetorically by ignoring the biggest thing that he did spend nearly $2 trillion we didn't need to spend, and then claim credit for two things that he had nothing to do with except put his name on it when they finished uh, uh, passing them through Congress. Carl Rove, we thank you, uh, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff. Uh, we thank you for joining us tonight on the Cats at Night program, and we look forward to chatting with you in the future. Thank you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We are joined by money manager and money manager investment banker Ryan Payne and Payne. Mr. Payne is the president and chief investment officer of Payne Capital Management. He's also the host of the new program on WABC Radio. No pain, no gain. Good evening to you, sir. Great to be here, Dominic. Thanks for having me. And thank you. So what's going on with the uh, markets as of late, I guess, as of today, and also with inflation? Well, I mean, we're definitely seeing a huge rebound in the stock market that started last fall. Um, You know, I think one of the biggest catalysts we've seen lately is just how good that jobs number was on Friday. I mean, we created over 500,000 jobs. I mean, that's that's an insane number. Um, And meanwhile, you you get the Fed coming out, Jay Powell, the chairman saying that he sees inflation starting to come down. He's starting to acknowledge that we're seeing some disinflation. So from an economic perspective, you've got a relatively strong job market. And if inflation is really coming down, it looks like it is, that's actually not a bad economic environment to be in. So, you know, I think the markets like it, and that's why you're seeing the market go up this year. Ryan, it's uh, Richard Weinberg. Welcome back to Cats at Night. What about Thanks, consumer consumer confidence? What what is the average consumer thinking about what's going on in this economy? Do they feel good? As Reagan famously said, are you better off today than you were so many years ago? What do you say about that? I, I think overall, probably not. Um, let, let's face it. We just went through a 40-year high in inflation last year. So I think the consumer in general is, is feeling a bit of fatigue with the way prices have gone up so much. Um, so I, I think we have to look at this year is if inflation does start to come down and the numbers is coming down, you know, I I assume consumer confidence is going to start to improve. Um, But I think, you know, as of right now, like you're you're already reading articles about the grocery store. People are actually going to the dollar store to get groceries because the cost of groceries has gone so up so much. In fact, even in that inflation number last month, Richard, uh, food inflation is still going higher. And the other thing that that troubles me, Ryan, is a a small guy, a working person, Uh, My net worth has gone down considerably since the Biden administration took over, whereas it was doing just fine during the Trump administration. How does he get around that fact? 
<laughs> well, I mean, he seems not to acknowledge the fact that inflation ballooned <laughs> since he's, you know, he's been in power. And I think, you know, you just you just talked about all the spending um, with your last guest. And I mean, you know, we really had 40 year high inflation going to the summer last year. And you had the Biden administration trying to spend trillions of dollars. And as we know, when there's more money in the system facing too few goods, that increases inflation. It doesn't decrease inflation. You know, spending money doesn't solve the problem. It actually makes it worse. And I would argue, you know, inflation would have been a lot lower last year uh, had they not gone on a spending spree. And I think that's what the American people are feeling in a really acute, painful way right now. And the other the other piece of it, beside the spending that they put through Congress, is the fact the supply and demand with respect to the uh, oil production. They've stopped the production of oil to making us energy independent. And that has an enormous economic impact throughout the economy, doesn't it? Oh, a huge one. Think about it. Everything that's you know transported that you buy, right? It's probably on some sort of uh, a truck, you know, or I mean, you know, every, every factory has an energy bill. So, I mean, energy pretty much feeds into that pretty much the entire economy when it comes to inflation. I mean, I guess the one positive there is, you know, oil now trades just above, just below $80 a barrel. At one point, we were over $120 a barrel when Russia invaded Ukraine. So, but your point, they're not being very pro, uh, you know, energy in this country. And these, 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 you know, traditional energy companies, we need them. Uh, if anything, energy demand is going to go up over the next decade. So you can't really curtail their production. And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing, a, a, you know, a new administration that's very anti-fossil fuels. And the reality of it is we need fossil fuels. And if we don't have them, it's just going to increase the price, which is extremely inflationary. Ryan Payne, the president and chief investment officer of Payne Capital uh, Management, the host of the new program on WABC Radio, No Pain, No Gain. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great night. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We're joined by a familiar voice and face to this station and program, and that is Senator Al D'Amato, who runs Park Strategies. Senator, so nice of you to join us tonight. Dominic, nice to be with you. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Senator. So here's the question. You know politics like the back of your hand, just like these gentlemen in studio with me. Uh, last night, was it a clear indication, the State of the Union address, that Biden is running for re-election? Could I just say, Al, just, you know, just doesn't know politics. He, he was a personal friend of Joe Biden for many years. I'm just wondering what his insights were now. Well, this was very good political fever for someone uh, who was launching his uh, campaign. If this doesn't show you that it's his intention to run, nothing will. And I must say, um, uh, as good as the theater was, particularly to try to galvanize his people, the factual uh, side left a lot to be desired. It was just factually not correct for him to say that he has reduced uh, the inflation rate. When he came in, it was under 2%. He got it up over 8%. I mean, that's ridiculous. But he did with the fuel. Oh, I reduced the fuel. BS. Yeah, you first you tripled it. Now it's only up by uh, a little less than, than, than twice as much. 
uh, because of, of your nonsense stopping an enemy, Canada. All of a sudden, Canada's an enemy from pumping fuel through the United States. Incredible. Incredible. Take a look at the border. Doesn't even talk about what's taking place. The fentanyl that is coming over from China. Now our friends, oh, the balloon, well, you know, it's been going on for years and nobody reports it. And so they better find out from the why the military hasn't reported it all these years going back to the Trump era. I mean, this is total nonsense. So whether it's the border, uh, the fentanyl killing our kids, this incredible inflation. Do you know what a pound of steak costs? Go out and buy it. Do you know what it costs? $25 a pound for steak. I mean, you've got a doubling and tripling of prices on commodities like our meats, uh, our poultry, like our eggs, uh, um, like milk going up uh, to, to places so that working middle class families are having a difficult time. And Joe Biden, oh, we're doing wonderful. Maloney, we're doing wonderful. And so <clears throat> militarily. Uh, there's a lot to be desired. Um, his pullout in Afghanistan, what he's done is created, he's emboldened the Russians. The Russians, what do you think they went in? They never thought that we would support the Ukraine. The Chinese are emboldened. So our enemies have been emboldened by the weakness of, of Mr. Biden and his policies and his programs. And he'd have you think that everything is hunky-dory. Well, hey, it's not. Hey, Al, how does this Joe Biden compare to the Joe Biden you served with in the Senate and were a personal friend of? Well, he, he proclaimed himself uh, as a moderate. And what has he uh, come to be? Well, ban oil. No, we're not going to use it. Ban natural gas. We're going to take it out. My God, what do you replace it with? What are we going to do? We're going to become electrified overnight. Do I, I believe we'll have electric vehicles come a point in time that will be the, more numerous than, than gas? Sure. But you don't push it overnight, you jackass, and, and have everybody um, racing around uh, uh, trying to, to find uh, a food at reasonable prices. Uh, this, is, this is madness. So... It was a good political kickoff for him and his party. It was certainly less than accurate, less than totally truthful. And as a matter of fact, when it was truthful, it was only on minor little points. And, 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 and it, the substance of it was horrific. Senator, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. Let me ask you this. With your 18 years in the United States Senate, yep. you, you heard... 18 State of the Union speeches. How does this one compare to the others that you heard? Well, let me tell you, this was a great political speech for Joe for a kickoff of his campaign. But but it wasn't something that a president could take uh, um, comfort in saying that I have spelled out the facts. Because if you go over point by point, whether it's the economy, whether it's the border, whether it's our public safety whether it, you just take a look at it, and it's been a disaster. 
It's been a disaster. So while his speech was may have been a political success for his purposes, and I don't doubt that, you know, when you recognize the strong points as well as just hitting uh, uh, at the negative, um, the strong points, maybe good politics, but a left a lot of accuracy and truthfulness out. It was less than truthful. As a matter of fact, did it unite this country, of, Senator? Of this, pardon me? Did it unite this country? Did this presidential address unite the people of the United no. States? No, no. I think it may have given some comfort uh, uh, to some of his Democratic supporters and to some Democrats. But when they begin to look and see, and by the way, they, they go shopping every day. They see this. How did I know what, what a pound of steak costs? You know, you know how I know? Uh, because about 45 minutes ago, my, my wife came in. He said, I was going to buy four steaks, but I only bought two. He said, do you know what it, this steak costs? He showed me these two, a pound each, $25 each. Now, how does the average working middle class family, they can't feed their family steak. And I'm not saying that families should have steak every night or in the, but nobody would ever think. The cost of eggs today, it's gone up. It's over 200% increase. That's a staple of American goods. And you're making it difficult for working families to make it. And Senator, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, especially Judge and uh, Congressman, what he just said, uh, Congressman Peter King, Judge Richard Weinberg, uh, about the cost of steak. It, it is crazy. It's outrageous. But... What do we stand for on this show? On this show, and Mr. Katzman TV is not here tonight, but Cats at Night, we stand for truth, justice, justice, and the American American way. way. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.